Hey, Teach Better fam, it's Chris here with another bonus episode for you. In this bonus episode, we are highlighting the current Focus on the Focus series with Caitlin Giordano and Dave Schmidto. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, Caitlin and Dave go live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to discuss grading, assessments, and providing students with meaningful feedback. We really hope you join us live on those Wednesdays, but also wanted to provide you with a recap from the weekly episodes that they are recording. We hope you enjoy this. Let's get into the episode. the nervous energy the music <laughs> stops and now we're on yeah. oh. Hi, hello hello oh those people that are watching live just realized that they have a special special treat on their screen because it's it's not just me sitting next to caitlin caitlin is now surrounded by a wealth of wisdom and some amazingly <laughs> brave people who stepped up and said yeah i'll answer the call i'll, I'll ask questions live and Get and have that debate and that conversation. Yay! I'm so stoked. I'm so excited. Oh, oh. Can, can we just go around the horn and everybody introduce themselves real quick? Is that all right? So people know who's here and where you are, what you do, and what you're representing, and then we'll just jump into this. Is that cool? Ready. All right. I know I'm supposed to do ladies first, but I'm going to go with Joe first so he doesn't puke waiting for his turn. Um, before we went live, Joe's like, I, I'm a little nervous about this thing tonight. So, Joe, I'm super, super excited that you're here, buddy. So, Introduce yourself to the world. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. An honor to be with uh, you and Caitlin. Um, and uh, my name is Joe Gonzalez. I'm a sixth grade English language arts and social studies teacher in Charleston, West Virginia. And I'm a Teach Better ambassador. There you go. <laughs> teacher from West Virginia. I love it. I love it. I love it. Holly Stewart. Who are yes. you? <laughs> so I am. Just start Holly by saying Stewart. Caitlin's biggest groupie. We know that part. Seriously, right? I know. I've been saying, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been looking forward to this like all day. So, um, but yes, yeah, so I'm Holly Stewart. I teach eighth grade science and design, and I'm in South Carolina, and I am also a Teach Better ambassador. Okay, look at that. Ambassadors <laughs> in the house. <laughs> and then we've got ourselves a girl from Akron here. Chelsea, Chelsea, can you introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Chelsea Nicolino. I uh, teach, also teach eighth grade um, science and then fifth grade digital literacy. And I'm also a Teach Better ambassador as well. Awesome. And from Akron, Ohio, if we didn't get that. <laughs> there we go. And Caitlin, I know everybody knows you, but there might be a couple people tuning in for the first time. Introduce yourself. Hey y'all, I'm Caitlin Giordano. I hail from the suburbs right outside of Chicago and I teach sixth grade English and social studies. And I am also the director of curriculum and instruction for the Teach Better team. <laughs> I think I think it's pretty funny. We have somebody here from West Virginia, somebody from South Carolina, and you're the one that pulls out the y'all. Did you just say, hey, y'all, and you're from Chicago? I did. I, did. I do that. I, it's so weird. I've had a few people ask me before, like, are you from the South? Like, no, it's just how I talk. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So happy to have everybody here. I'm Dave Schmidt. I am just along for the ride. I'm the guy that gets to be surrounded by greatness today, hearing from some all-stars and some people that truly are super brave walking into these waters and, and asking questions. And the reason we reached out to you guys is, you guys have been super active in the comments and in the chat, and you, you've asked some amazing questions as we've gone through this. We thought, let's just bring you on. So I'm curious to see how the chat performs today with you guys here, not there, unless you've got your phones out too and you're multitasking and all the things, but we're excited <laughs> to have this convo today. All right, so Caitlin, are you ready for this? From Some Q&A, you ready to sit in the hot seat? I am so ready. The hot seat's my favorite seat. I'm okay. ready to go. All right. So people that might be tuning in for the first time, you need to understand this is week five. 
in this epic series. And each week we've had a, a theme. We've covered the basics. We've talked um, percentages and zeros. We've talked um, assessment. We've talked formative and summative. I mean, we've talked about anything that you can connect to grades. And through it all, although we've covered a lot, I mean, literally five hours worth of conversations about grades, there are still questions that need to be answered. And some of these questions, I'll be honest, you love the hot seat. I'm nervous about answering some of these questions. I, I feel like at times I'm going to say some things that we're not going to agree with, and that's okay. We're still going to leave here friends. We're still going to leave here doing what's best for kids. So ready to jump in? I am so ready. I think I love that you just like opened that up though that way, because I feel like that's a super important thing to bring to any kind of conversation like this, because when you're entering into conversations that can be a little sticky, a little tricky, a little controversial, or about things you know that people are going to kind of like adhere to or maybe feel very strongly about, it's super important to kind of just acknowledge that and be like, hey, like we may disagree about this but I still respect you professionally. We're still going to leave here friends. Like those conversations, opening it up that way. I just love that you did that because one of our big things with focus on the focus is how to have these conversations with people in your professional setting. So if you're walking into something like that, what Dave just did, I don't even think he intended to do it because he's just that brilliant. But if you're going into a conversation <laughs> like this, it's important sometimes to kind of acknowledge that right at the outset. We may not agree on everything, but it's important to talk about it. So Dave, you're awesome. I'm just so happy to be here with you and I'm never letting you introduce yourself again. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I appreciate that. All right. Well, I, I've got a, a prescribed order on our Google Doc for no apparent reason other than it's just the order I started typing things in. Um, and I know that these are very real questions. You and I haven't really had a chance to prep. Literally, these things were just typed in. I threw them in. We'll see the little graphic going across the screen. But Chelsea, I know you've got a question first. I'm going to do the, the rude host thing. I'm going to mute all of us so we can all zero in on what Chelsea is saying. We want to focus in on Chelsea's wisdom, Chelsea's greatness. Chelsea, you've got a question for us. I do. Go for it. All right. My question, which was proposed by a colleague, a math colleague, and hers was, what is the difference from switching from like a standards-based rubric, like the four, three, two, one, or I know you've talked about like the numbers, you know, like it could be any number, but like a four, three, two, one, um, when it's still just a number for grading, like what's the point of switching to like a rubric, like a standards-based rubric rather than just percentages? Mm, okay, mm. so I really, really love this question. I do. I love this question because it kind of really gets at the heart of what we are talking about as a whole thing. Because what we're talking about isn't points and percentages. When you talk about standards-based grading, you're talking about content and skill ability proficiency. So it's not gonna be this like, okay, we're gonna like throw everything out and just replace it with this next thing with these random stickers or with these random four points instead of a hundred. It's an idea that you're shifting the way that you look at assessment as a whole. And you're looking for students to show a level of proficiency at a given skill. And so standards-based grading is really supposed to reflect that. Now, because we have to work within the limits that we have, it doesn't, It doesn't. in my opinion, this is just my opinion, it doesn't matter how many points you assign to mastery or how many points you assign to not mastery. That's not the conversation that we're having. We're having a conversation about shifting our focus away from those points and towards a skill progression. And so one of the things that I typically suggest for people that are kind of entering into this space is in, don't put any numbers on anything on any of your rubrics instead of numbers just use those qualifying words and have, help your students understand that vocabulary help them learn to use it and to interpret it themselves see caitlin that's why you're so smart um and i'm going to take a, a slightly different twist to this because i understand the question that this teacher is asking they're they're literally saying what's the point all you're doing is going one number to another number. Why do I even need to do all of the work? Because this is the teacher that knows there's a lot more hidden behind this. So they're saying, why do I need to do that? What What is the added benefit to the kid and to the parent and to me in this equation? And there's a lot in this and we could go back and replay 
four hours plus of conversations that talk about the added benefits. But for the sake of this teacher, they're not going to want to sit down and have that conversation with you. Other than I would, I would confront them and I would ask them, imagine the administration came to us next year and said, we are not allowed to use percentages. If we're not allowed to use percentages, what would you use? What would you do? How would you grade students? And I think that's a, that's a big question for people to ask because it gets to the heart of the fact that percentages are just this arbitrary thing because it's the kind of math that we all understand. It's literally the only math that we all understand, whether we teach PE, music, language arts, social studies, math, we all understand how to come up with a percentage. So we say, hey, that's gotta be a good way to calculate something for a kid with numbers. But if your administrator said you can't, what would you use? And then to Caitlin's point, it doesn't matter what the answer is. It doesn't matter if it's sticker charts, one, two, three, fours, ABCs, that doesn't matter because that's not the conversation. So the, the question isn't one, two, three, four, or 80, 90, 100. The question is why 80, 90, 100, period. The other part of it, we can have that conversation all day long. And ultimately that's not the fight we need to have. You said that much more eloquently than I did. <laughs> <laughs> but that's hard for people to understand. It really is. It's, it's hard for people to get to that point because we do have a system that is so focused on you got to have a number. Data means numbers. You got to have a number that you can put into a grade book that you can put into some sort of software system that we have to be able to give a kid a number for some reason. And again, it's because it's easy. But just because it's easy doesn't make it right. Exactly. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Did that help at all, Chelsea? That was perfect. No, thank you. Yes, I did. I actually awesome. had this conversation with a colleague and I'm like, I will get back to you on that. That is a great <laughs> question. <laughs> awesome. You good with that, Caitlin? I feel fabulous about Sweet. it. Sweet. Okay. How about we jump into Joe right now? Joe, um, I am curious to hear your question, my friend. What you got for us? Uh, mine was uh, when teachers assign large point values to assignments, whether it be 100 points, 500 points, 600, 127 points. Uh, <laughs> what's a better way to react or kind of entertain that conversation without offending them? <laughs> oh, you had to add that qualifier. I was ready to go until you said without offending them. Now it just makes it hard. I'm going to have to have Caitlin go first because I had all the answers. But if I can't offend them, that's that's different. You don't want to go first, Caitlin? You don't have to. Offend away. That's okay. my answer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I'm just so, kidding, Joe. So, Joe, I, I guess I would ask a few questions here. The fact that uh, somehow, some way, you know the number of points that are on assessments or assignments in another teacher's classroom. How do you know that? Just by hearsay and passing around the, the hallways or, you know, just hearing stuff. So. so so, that's interesting. Do you know which classrooms the teachers have their lights on or off in? Do you know which classrooms the kids are sitting in desks or rows or in hubs? Or do, do you tend to only find out about things that are happening in classrooms that are like, holy crap, that's really happening in a classroom? Uh, like, I mean, my in my sixth grade wing, I can tell you what, you know, what's going on. But the, and then the other school, the other wings are hard because we don't focus along as much as them so but so you already have a window into what's happening in every single classroom <laughs> right because you guys are a team mm -hmm. so you already you already have conversations about what people are doing good bad or ugly and just as they go through their day it's just part of the conversation yes so this is an easier conversation to have because you're not prying in being like big brother and i got you and you're being horrible you can have a conversation where you can simply ask a lot of questions and oftentimes questions tend to, to paint the story a whole lot better than a direct answer can. You know, when, when you find out that teacher X is assigning a, an exam with 100 points, 200 points, 500 points, 600 points, whatever the number is, sometimes it's our inclination to look at the student and say, oh my gosh, are they really? If it's a student that brought it to you, which doesn't do anything for the next conversation you're going to have because you've already shamed that teacher to a student. You've already put in that student said that that teacher is wrong and that they're guilty of educational malpractice. And that's not your intent. Your intent is to help grow whatever educator you're working with because you want to have a partnership. You want to continue to learn from them. But if you do find out something's happening, if it's coming up in conversation, the first question would be play ignorant, play dumb and say, wow, that's interesting. How'd you come up with that number? Why a hundred? 
Why 200? Why 600? And you can even say, because in my class, I'm only doing like five or 10 points. And I, I don't know if that's accurate. Do you think 100 is more accurate? And ask the question and ask them to explain the rationale. And then the door is open. They're, they're the expert that's trying to teach you, oh, you know, oh, naive one. And now you can just ask a lot of innocent but probing questions to open the door for the conversation, knowing full well that you're not going to change anybody's mindset or belief on any of this from one conversation about one test or one assignment. But it opens the door for more conversations. Caitlin? Absolutely. That was going to be my suggestion, too. So I typically walk into conversations like this one with the idea that I want to go in and just ask as many questions as possible, not because I'm trying to show them why what they're doing is wrong, but because I'm genuinely curious why they're doing what they're doing. So I think your mindset as you walk into the conversation is also really important. Genuinely ask questions out of curiosity. The first conversation, like Dave said, is not going to be where like the light bulb goes on and where something is going to change, but it is going to give you the opportunity to understand the motivation behind this and genuinely be curious about why someone is giving an exam worth 127 points. And then as you go into further conversations after that, your questions can kind of start to take on maybe like a little bit of a different motivation in a way where you could ask something like, okay, well, what would you, what would, like if you added 10 more points, like would that change the exam? Or if you took off some of those points, would that change the exam? My favorite question for teachers in this situation though, when you walk into a conversation and I have asked this myself, usually the second time I talk to them is what are you assessing on that test? Like, I'm curious, like, what are you, what are you looking for? What are, what are the kids showing you? And that question tends to be the one that kind of starts to open their, their mind a little bit. If their mind is able to be open, um, it'll give you an idea too, of like how open we are to, to any changes going forward. Um, because it'll, hi, <laughs> it'll kind of give you an idea of how, how much you can do going forward. Hi, boys. <laughs> Sorry, these are my boys. It's all good. Okay, that's my favorite question, though. Is like, what are you assessing? What are you looking for the kids to do? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's this is one of those things that you could literally have the conversations could go a thousand different directions based off of the responses that you can get. But you know, one of the things that we hear from teachers a lot is that not trying to say we we try to take the the easy out but we have a hard job and we want our jobs to be as efficient as possible if you were to to go up to a teacher and say hey i, I heard that you have a, a test that's like worth 100 points or 200 points or 600 points i just had an assessment it only had like five questions on it do you think that's right and ask it about what you do and ask them to critique your practice so that you're not critiquing them and then you can pick that apart and that that's honestly why caitlin and i have these conversations because we know that sometimes it is so much easier to talk about other people. And if, if that helps you start the conversation where you can say, this dude up in Michigan said something stupid. What do you think about this? Or this, this girl from Chicago, first of all, she started by saying y'all. So that already discredits her. And then she started talking about the fact that assessments shouldn't have 127 points. What do you think she was talking about? Start by evaluating or critiquing some, some other practice. And then it's easier to start reflecting on your own practice. It's just working your way up Bloom's taxonomy. You know, reflection comes after creation. You have to be able to create something you think is great before you can reflect on it. But that comes after evaluate. So start by evaluating and analyzing somebody else or somebody, some other practice. And then you can get people to start reflecting on their own. Love that. Great. Dave, you're a genius. Oh, I try my best. <laughs> Any, anything else from you, Joe? Or did that sum it up for you? Did that give you a starting point? Yeah, definitely. I also need to channel my inner Columbo next time <laughs> when I'm hopefully you get that reference. By, by the way, let me ask you one more question. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. That was awesome. All right. Holly Stewart, we are coming your way, my South Carolina friend. And first of all, there's no BMX track in the background. I'm not used to seeing no. you like sitting still somewhere. You're no, normally walking somewhere with bikes jumping in the background, but it's all good. Yeah, well, our, our weather is not so great today, so practice was canceled, so we're uh, at home today. So Okay, well, our, 
our advantage so we can just hang yes. out with you. So <laughs> Exactly. So Holly, um, what, what do you have for us? Yeah. So my question is just trying to figure out, because this is definitely the way that I want to go is with standards-based grading and, you know, reevaluating my grading practices. And I'm trying to figure out how to make that work within a system that is still a traditional grading practice. Um, so, and this is, you know, not just in my school, but the district. So, and I would probably be by myself, the, you know, the, the, the guinea pig, I guess you could say, who's trying this out. And I see that Caitlin is super excited about this question. <laughs> so I think she's just super excited she's hanging work. out with you. She's just excited she's <laughs> hanging out with you. And then you happen to like throw her the softball and you basically just said, Caitlin, tell me how you Please. do everything you do. Yes, so exactly. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay, so Holly, I am really excited about your question because this is my current situation is doing a, a, a standards-based system, a, a grading philosophy, and being able to implement my own grading philosophy within a traditional, not just my classroom, not just my school, but my whole entire district is that way. Mm -hmm. And so this has been kind of one of the struggles that I've gone through myself this year. And so I love this question because number one, it reminds me that I'm not doing this by myself. It reminds me that I'm not the only person who's trying to take something like this on, which number one is so, so helpful and so powerful to walk into a situation and know that even though you don't work with me in my school right next door to me, mm -hmm. You and I are in this fight together. You and I are doing some, the same things and we can be connected and have those conversations outside of this space and outside of our own physical limitations. So that is first and foremost, the like one thing that I just love to hear because it makes me feel like, okay, sweet. Like I've got my people. Yes. So that's <laughs> my first thing. My second thing is that when you're looking for different grading systems that will work within a traditional philosophy, it kind of goes back to what we talked about with Chelsea's question. The points that you put on any particular proficiency piece isn't really the focus here. It's about ensuring that you're looking at skill progressions. So I know that a lot the way that our standards are written in a lot of cases and a lot of content areas is to be a skill progression. They exist to show how students can move from one level to the next. And there's a lot of tools out there. My favorite one is ThemeSpark that help you build rubrics that are based on standards that show skill progression. That has been like my big time saver in the last year has been using different pieces like that, different technologies that are out there that already exist to help me start building some of that, some of those pieces. What I had to do and the hardest part for me was sitting down and figuring out because I hate points. That's really not anything that no, that is new to people here. Mm -hmm. um, I hate points. So my thing was trying to sit down and determine, okay, how many points am I going to put on it for a kid that does it at the level I want them to? And what I will tell you and anybody else that has the same question is I do not have the right answer because the right answer is the one that's going to work for you and your students in your classroom. It's also going to be the one that's going to work within the limitations and the requirements that you have set. So I know in certain classes, you have to have a certain number of assignments each week that go into your online gradebook. In other classes, you don't have that. Some schools will allow you to override different pieces in their online gradebook and weight things at zero. Other ones won't. And so based on the limitations that you have, the number of points that you assign to any given thing is really going to have to be a system that you kind of work through yourself and you kind of muddle through what's going to work best for me. So in my particular case, I like using a four-point skill progression. So it's not worth four points, but there's four levels of proficiency that I like to work with. The top one is meeting and mastering the goal, and then it kind of goes down from there. Now, because I'm in a traditional grading setting, I didn't want it to be one, two, three, four, because a three out of four is a 75%, which is a C, which is applied to, which you would be applying to someone who's almost got it or is very closely approaching the skill. And I wasn't comfortable with that. I didn't really feel like 
that was sending the right message, especially with a bunch of families and students who are so entrenched in this grading system that a C is like, oh my God, I failed. Um, so instead I use a 10, eight, seven, six for it. But again, that's what works for my, my classroom. And I will say, um, it's not my favorite thing. I don't love that I have to do that, but it's allowing me to, to kind of align my philosophy within the system and the, and the parameters that I have set. Can I ask a quick question here? Jump in. Uh, (laughs) I'll just sit back. You guys have fun. I'm going to join Chelsea and Joe down here and you guys just carry on with the conversation. So, because earlier you had said though about using the rubrics without points, but then you said you have the 10, 8, 7, 6. So how do you reconcile those and what do the, your students see? How, do, how does that work? Yeah, phenomenal question. I don't put points on anything my students look at. The points are only for me and the online gradebook. My students have to talk to me about their level of academic proficiency. And so that's something that I communicate very early on in the year they know how many points things are worth because they figure that out because that's one of those things that they want to know. Um, So they kind of figure that out on their own. We do have a conversation about it. I tell them once at the beginning of the year, this is how everything lines up in my classroom, but you are not going to see this on anything because that's not the kind of feedback that we're going to be talking about here. That's not the kind of learning and that's not the kind of growth that we're doing in here. It's not adhering to points percentages, et cetera. Our growth and our learning can't be, we're not going to quantify it in here. We're going to focus on progress. We're going to focus on growth. So everything that I give my kids just says like mastered, approaching mastery, developing. Like I have little words that I've used and this vocabulary that, um, that I found in various different places. There's like a million different words you could use for this Mm -hmm. literally all over the internet. Um, these are the ones that I choose to use with my sixth graders because they're words that they can understand and that we've worked on all year long. Um, I will say this, once you decide on what you're doing, stick with it and make sure you communicate it really clearly to your kids. So my kids all know like mastery means this. <laughs> Approaching mastery means this. Like they they know that we've, we've had conversations about that vocabulary. Okay. Can we play now, Holly? Is that okay? I guess we'll oh, okay. want to. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, so he wants to play, be afraid. I, I do. I do. I've got, I've got some thoughts on this. But before I give my thoughts, I'm going to just, Chelsea and Joe, know that in just a minute, as soon as I'm done rambling, if you have any other questions or thoughts, feel free to, to jump on in, share, ask, whatever. Same thing for anybody that's watching right now. We've got a couple more questions that people submitted, but um, we can always respond to those in the chat if we need to. I want to make sure that we answer the, the questions of the people that are here today. So. So Holly, my response to this question is similar, but different. Okay. Um, And I'm going to say something that I don't know that people necessarily agree with or believe, but honestly, Holly, I don't care about grading one little bit. I really don't. I think grading is sometimes it's the conversation about grading is so stinking overrated. We talk about grading all the time as though it's like this silver bullet magic pill that all we have to do is change our grading practices and something's going to change. And it doesn't. And it doesn't, period. And I know this because probably about 80% of the work that I do with schools is schools that have said, I've already adopted standards-based grading, but it's not working. And that's because even schools that say they're standards-based grading are still part of this traditional system. I don't care what grade you use for things. I'm about standards-based learning. I'm about standards-based feedback. I'm about standards-based instruction. We only throw grading on there because that's a common denominator that everybody reconciles and everybody has to do and everybody understands. It's like that pivot point that starts the conversation, but it's not the end of the conversation. Anybody that starts the conversation with, I I just need to change the grades or the points or the percentages or the scale, they don't understand the work that really is involved in this. So when we're talking about how do you change or how do you do standards-based in your classroom? No matter what the system is, you can be standards-based. The standards can be the base of all that you do and all the feedback that you provide. Like, like Caitlin said, she forced herself into this 10-point box that she, she knows is like this icky, weird place to be, but it's the system that she's living in. And she's giving concrete, specific standards-based feedback and aligning her instruction to the standards because that's what matters. 
And even even if her administration came to her and said, sorry, that 10 point thing doesn't work anymore. It needs to be 100 points. It needs to be 127 points. It needs to be 600 points. It's not going to change a thing that she's doing and how she provides feedback or how she instructs her kids because it's not about the grading. You know, I, I had somebody this week that reached out to me. We got into a little bit of a DM battle and their, their pushback to me was, I thought this whole conversation you guys were going to be having was about grading, but now you're talking about assessment, you're talking about feedback and you're watering down the conversation. <laughs> and my pushback was, no, that is the conversation. I, I'm sorry you wanted the drive through fast food approach to this, but we're not just going to dip grades in the fryer and bring them up and say they're crispy and good now. That's, that's not the answer. It, changing the grading does not matter at all, at all. In your classroom, if you simply said, I'm only using four-point rubrics in my classroom, and that's the only thing that changed, I would look you in the face and say, sorry, you missed it. You missed it. You go back and watch four weeks of focus on the focus because you missed something in the process. That, that is not the conversation at all. The idea of having a standards-based classroom can exist in whatever system you're in. Are there some tools and tricks that we can do to help you align your feedback? Yes. Are there some things that we can do to help you align your assessments so that when you look at things in a quantifiable way, you, you're able to, to make some strategic decisions? Absolutely. But those are instructional pedagogical tricks and tools for you as the educator, not necessarily for how you communicate it to parents. So I, I, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I, I just want to make sure that we're answering the right question. The whole idea of focusing on the focus, the focus on this whole grading conversation, ironically, is not even about grades. It's about everything else. Grades are the byproduct. Yeah, I just had an epiphany because of what you just said. Legitimately, if somebody walked into my classroom and was like, you have to use 600 points as your skill, I nothing would change. I think that might be like one of my new favorite ways to like explain this and explain how it's not about the number of points. It's not even about grades at all. Because literally nothing would change except the number of points. That's it. Yeah. But it, everything would remain the same. Like that's yeah. that's gold. And, and I and I and I can prove this because in so many classrooms when we have assessments, we give a seven point we a, a seven point assignment that we then take points and we turn it into a one hundred percent point thing because it has to fit into a percentage box that we then boil down into a letter grade that we then transfer into a GPA. So we do all these this manipulation with the points because we know that the number of points does not matter. It doesn't. We're just playing the telephone game with our feedback. Let's just skip all those steps and get directly to the feedback that matters. Yes. <laughs> Whew. All right. So I, sorry, I, I had to go on a rant there. Um, looking at the screen here, these amazing people that are here, do any of you have other questions before I jump into questions that were posted from other friends from, from afar? It's funny. I always feel like I have tons of questions, but I'm happy to get questions from everybody else. <laughs> so I, I have a question that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct to Caitlin because I, I, I actually already know her answer about this one. And um, this is one I, I think we disagree on. Oh. What is your opinion on going gradeless, Caitlin? <laughs> we do disagree about this. <laughs> okay. So first and foremost, you have to define what that means because a lot of people, when I talk about how I've gone gradeless and how it was the best thing that ever happened in my classroom, think that I didn't give any feedback to anybody. And also that I never gave like a letter grade or a percentage at the end of a grading period, which I was legally required to do. So first and foremost, we've got to define what that means. Gradeless in my definition means that my classroom was not focused on grades at all whatsoever. I did not give grades at all until the end of a grading period. However, I was providing feedback in the form of a four-point scale that was weighted at nothing. So grade less, in my experience, was truly me providing feedback within the system that I had, which was our little four-point scale that was just so lovely. But I had the, ab the ability and the opportunity to weight all of that at 0%. So it would not calculate an overall grade for my class. It wouldn't take an average and say, okay, the average of all these random scores that you've put in here is this 96% A. So going gradeless, though, was probably the best thing that I ever did with my classroom. Because it allowed my students and I to try out something that I had wanted to try out, which was the idea of a grading conference. 
So my students created portfolios of their work over a grading period. All of my assignments were standards aligned, formative, summative assessments, all of them were aligned to particular standards that we worked on throughout a grading period. My students would get a list of those from me. There was usually anywhere from five to seven standards that we covered in a grading period. And they would put together evidence of their learning on those given skills. We would then have a conversation about their progress over time. They had also an opportunity to get reteaching and to reassess on any one of those standards. They could revise something they had already done, or if they wanted to show me their level of understanding in a different way, they could do that too. So it was truly up to them and how they wanted to show me what they had learned in a given grading period. Now, I would say the absolute best part of it, though, was when we sat down and I got to ask them, so what grade should you get in my class then? And they, they got to talk to me and actually say, like, okay, based on everything that I've done, I think I deserve a B. And I'd be like, okay, why? Or I'd be like, I disagree. Here's why. And it allowed us to have really powerful conversations about their understanding in my class and about their understanding of my content. Anybody else have a response to that before I jump in? Chelsea, Joe, Holly, going gradeless. Could you ever do it? I think that really the, the big thing that I'm getting from this whole conversation is that the emphasis doesn't need to be on the grade, it needs to be on the feedback. So as long as that's where you're going, I think, yes, I think that I could do a, a gradeless classroom based on the way that Caitlin is talking. So, yeah. Yeah, that I really want to as my next step. I mean, Caitlin and I, I use her 10, 8, 7, 6 rubric that she gave to me. And I praise you every day. I'm like, thank you, Caitlin. Because <laughs> this is in the right direction. And I know, like, I know you're like, well, you know, it's the next step. And I know there's always something more I could do, but I'm really excited about that. And I'm like, okay, Caitlin, tell me all you need to, like everything you know about student-led conferences and that conferencing thing. Cause I feel like that's my next step too. And I had a conversation with this student last week about, he was like, what is the point of grades? And I'm like, I agree. What is the point of grades? I don't like them either. And he was like, like he didn't expect a teacher to come back and be like, yeah, I don't like him either. Like, let's have a conversation about this. So it kind of opened up to the conversation of learning. I said, you know what? In a dream world, I would love to go gradeless. I said, I'm just not there yet. I'm still learning. I'll will I'll get there eventually. So yeah, I would love to go gradeless. That's like me, Chelsea. I'm this close, but uh, this year I was an e-learning teacher, so I had no physical kids in my classroom, and it was a challenge for me to get them to meet with me and do anything. So, but I was terrified about using the grid method. And I finally said, why not just try it? So I've done a couple successful pseudo grids. I will call them. I'm not officially labeled a grid yet because it was um, not necessarily what I wanted to do with it, but at least got the groundwork in. And then the feedback from my kids is they kept telling me that I like this. And I go, you really like this? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, you're not just saying that you really like it. So, that's what I, I can see this like envisioning in my classroom next year or maybe the year after, but I'm also extremely terrified at the same end. So don't be terrified. Except maybe Dave's gonna terrify you. I don't know. I'm, I'm about to scare the crap out of you, Joe. No, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna address this from a non-teacher lens. I love the fact that I'm surrounded here by four amazing teachers. I'm gonna talk about it from the lens of administrator and parent as opposed to the, to, to the teacher lens. Cause I think that that's, those are two pieces of this conversation. I think sometimes we miss because we, we do, I mean, it should always be about the student. It should always be about the student, but the student is surrounded by a lot of people that help shape and develop and grow and educate the, the student. You know, back in week one, I used the, the Rick Warmly quote at nauseum that grades are communication, not compensation. And I truly believe that's the only reason we have grades is to communicate something to somebody. It's the only reason we do them. If we weren't trying to communicate, there would be no place for grades. But we we use grades because it's a quick way to, to rattle off something to somebody, especially at middle school and high school when you've got 150, 200 kids that you're having to document progress for. It's difficult to provide specific, actionable feedback that students understand that other educators understand and that parents can understand. 
So what we do is we use grades thinking this is something that at least people have some sort of construct or context around, and they'll understand this if I assign some sort of grade. And again, it could be an ABC, it could be a one, two, three, it could be a sticker chart, it could be a thumbs up, thumbs down stars. I've got elementary kids, I've got high school kids. I've seen every day, I see a variety of grades at the top of papers. I see stars, I see hundreds, I see A's, I see it all. And the teachers put those grades on the top of the paper so that my children can bring them home and I can see them and I can make some sort of sense or meaning of it because the teacher is hoping that somehow, some way I can support them. Now, most of the time, my support is simply around the compliance angle. And did you do your work? Did you try your best? Not, are you gaining mastery and understanding? Because I can't help my high school kid with his algebra homework anymore. It's beyond me. I can't help him with his chemistry beyond me. Truth be told, I can't help my, my fourth grader with some of her science homework. It's beyond me. So the feedback though, it helps me understand is my child doing all they can? And whether it's an academic grade towards mastery or some other quick little something, I need it so that I know how my child is, is doing. So when I want to make sure that when, when people hear going gradeless, my biggest fear is that people will hear that and they won't hear everything that Caitlin said. I, I want to make sure that people don't think that this is another case of us throwing the baby out with the bathwater which is what constantly causes the pendulum to shift in education. We'd say, oh, something new and shiny, let's go there. And we forget about all the good stuff. The idea of going gradeless does not mean, great, I don't have to grade anything anymore. I don't have to give kids <laughs> feedback anymore. I don't have to communicate with parents anymore. I can just assign things and hope it all works and sing Kumbaya. And if it doesn't, well, that's on the kid. That is not the goal. The goal is actually you're giving more specific feedback. Your work, the job is probably going to be a whole lot harder. You're going to have to have actionable feedback that you're providing kids. You're not just putting scores on the top of a paper to judge and label and define. You're giving feedback that they can do something with, which means you're going to have to see more and do more. So when we talk great going gradeless, it doesn't mean scrapping every. Well, honestly, it is in vogue for a lot of people to say scrap it all and just get rid of all the grades. Now, there's a lot of books I'm seeing right now talking about going gradeless, and that's exactly what they mean. But that is not the answer. It has nothing to do with the grades has everything to do with the feedback and the communication. Absolutely. And it's one of those things too, like if, if you're looking to take this on number one, like I'll talk to you about it anytime you want, because I love to. But there is a lot of communication on the front side of this at the beginning of your school year when you're working with families and you're communicating with them. I personally did like a parent boot camp where like I invited families in and walked through like, okay, here is what you'll see when you log into our online gradebook. You're not going to see 97% for Giordano's English class. <laughs> that's not going to work. You're going to have to click on it and open it up. And that's where you'll see every assignment that we've done and the feedback that I've provided on it. You'll have to do that one extra click on that online gradebook, but the information that you're going to get from doing that is going to be a lot better than why do you have a D? It's going to be, here's where we've been at give in this whole learning experience. And when you put things in your online gradebook, there are specific things that you can do to make sure it's easy for families to look at. Because I say this all the time, especially in a gradeless classroom, your online gradebook is not for you. Your online gradebook is for your families and for your students. It is not for you. So it shouldn't be easy for you to navigate and no one else knows what it means. It should be easy for everybody else to navigate. So one of the things that I did was I had like the name of the assignment in parentheses and it was like hero essay or something like that. But then every single standard that I assessed on that essay was a different grade in the grade book. And all of them had hero essay next to them in parentheses so that everybody knew this was the assignment that that skill was assessed on. But they were all disaggregated like that. And it does take a lot of communication. I recommend saving the meaty parts of your emails when you're doing that um, or recording videos of yourself and saving them talking through because a lot of the communication that I had to do was like, okay, I know it's showing up as a three out of four. Remember, three is not, it's not a three out of four. It's this. Like it was a lot of communication to kind of help shift the mindsets of the families as well. And with the kids too, like one of the kids, 
I just, I'll never forget this. One of my students walked in and was like, my mom was looking at the grade book last night and saw that I got a three out of four on something. And she was mad at me. And I looked at her and said, mom, it's not a three out of four. It just means I don't know how to do that yet. And I was like, okay, that's amazing. Thanks. Your mom can call me anytime. <laughs> but it was really cute because he was like, like he clearly understood like that's what it means. But yes. it is hard to kind of get over that hump with families, especially when it's something that we've done for so long and that people are so familiar with. There's a lot of communication that goes along with it. So you just got to be ready. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I, I'm going to prep you while I give my answer. I want to go to Megan Wells' uh, comment. If you look at that, everybody, real quick. But before, while you guys are looking at that, I'm going to respond to this too, Caitlin, because I think you hit something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we, we it was the Sir Mix-a-Lot segment, all about the big butts. And I think what you just reminded me of is that every grade, every assessment is a yeah, but. There's always more to the story. And I'll give you some a perfect example. I'm going to use me for this. And I'm not going to talk about letter grades, but I'm just going to give you some statistics about me. And I want you to, to judge at the end of this, am I healthy? Okay. I run on average 50 miles a week. I have a resting heart rate, heart rate of 62. I have a body mass index of about 14%. When you hear those statistics, am I healthy? Yeah, you're like like the bionic man. Okay. So now let me add a couple more variables <laughs> to this. My mom, on my mom's side, her mom and her dad and her were diagnosed with clinical depression. I've had five suicides in my family. My dad had his first heart attack at 42. I'm 43. My mom also has diabetes. Do you still think I'm healthy? Based on the data you shared about yourself, I still think you're healthy, but based on your history, your medical history, or your family's medical history, it's, it's, there's more, there muddies the waters. There's more, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's the point of all this. Statistics, data, numbers, they're always, yeah, but. They only tell a small part of the story. And what I loved about what you said, Caitlin, is that when parents go in and they see the score or they see the assignment, they have to click something else and find out what's actually in there. And oftentimes we take the shortcut and we say, parents, if you wanna know how your child is doing, just go into the grade portal and look at the number as if the number is going to tell them anything. And it only works if our number represents compliance. If our grades are 100% based off of work ethic and turning things in on time, then that number that you show them is gonna be 100% accurate. But if there's anything in there that deals with the big butt, Anything else that they need to understand about what you're actually assessing and what that number represents, then you got to have a way for them to know the full story. Because whatever's on the surface, whatever numbers are there, will never tell them all the stuff that, that truly matters. The stuff that you want to make sure that you're reporting to the next teacher and whoever else they're reporting to, because that's where intervention takes place. And every single one of us needs an intervention in something. So we got to know all the big bucks. 100%. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I I just did said all that so you would have more time to read Megan Wells' comic. So I'm about to flash it on the screen and it's probably going to consume all of your faces for a second. So be ready. <laughs> Megan, thank you for sharing this, but it's long. So in essence, Megan wants us to address how do we do all this even if students have been conditioned in this system to to play the game of school a different way. So we have, you might in your classroom say that kids can redo and retake things or that you don't have arbitrary deadlines or whatever the case may be. And, and Megan is saying that in her classroom, that's kind of what she, she does is she has this system where kids can turn things in later on um, or closer to the end of a marking period. And she gets slammed with things because kids are, in her words, going to the teachers that hold their feet to the fire, those were her words, first and doing that work first and then she gets inundated with everything else last. There's a lot here. So anybody want to talk about that? You guys hey, had more sister. time to prep on this one than I did. So <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. Um, what I would suggest doing is 
one of one thing that has worked out really well is if you do have like a homeroom class or a class that kids are able to like move around to different teachers based on what they need, that's a really great opportunity to provide a structured time. Like, okay, we're going to do a reassessment of this on Monday and Wednesday of this week. Come to that class period when you can. If you do not have like a homeroom period or the ability to do something like that, this may not be a popular answer. I'm just going to preface it by saying that. Take class time and do a redo day or a catch-up day or a Starbucks day is what I call them in my room because my kids are obsessed with Starbucks and they think anything I apply that name to makes it cool. Um, literally, I call it Starbucks day and they're like, oh, we have to work the whole time? Okay, great. Um, but I, I provide a class day where I tell them, okay, this is an opportunity for everybody who's missing work, everybody who needs a retake, anybody who needs to do a reassessment. Today is a day that we're all going to do that. And we're going to work on it together. If you need help with anything, that way I'm here to help you. If there's something that I can assist you with or something that another student in the room can assist you with, great. Let's put some student experts up on the board. People who've mastered this skill, write your name down, that kind of thing create like that community or that space within your instructional time. One, you can plan it at a time that's going to work really well for you. So you're not going to get inundated with like 8,000 essays to grade at the end of a grading period. Hi, been there, done that. It's awful. Um, you're also not going to get yourself into this situation where you've got kids who genuinely need your help, but don't know how to get it. They're trying to reassess on something. They're trying to manage all of these different pieces. And they don't know how to manage that yet because they're not quite there in their development. I love providing that class time because it allows me also to plan for, okay, I know I'm going to get a bunch of reassessments coming in that day. I, I can plan for that. I can prepare for that. Anybody else? It, or are you guys actually, all feeling that pain? <laughs> no, I, I completely relate. And, and we actually had today in, in our classes, was our makeup day, catch up day. Let's start, you know, quarter four guys, we're getting you ready for high school. So let's turn in some work, ask some questions. So that was my day today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so my answer is way less strategic than, than what both of you just said. Mine's more <laughs> philosophical. I told you I shake the bushes and you guys come in and say, now let's clean it up, Dave, and tell people how to do this. But, I, but this, this makes me ask even more questions. Like if, if we say that assessment drives instruction, if we say assessment is the collection of evidence, I have a hard time saying that we can wait till the end of a marking period before we have assessments, because then we had no idea what we should have been teaching. The assessment should always drive the next thing. And if it's the end of a marking period before we're finally collecting anything, then the students have actually proven to us that that assessment didn't drive any instruction. And I think it's an amazing reflective opportunity for us to look at and say, oh, did that assessment even matter? Because now I can't do anything with it anyway. The assessment should be embedded somehow throughout. And there's, we've heard my, my philosophy before on the number three and why it's my favorite number. But I think that if, if we move away from the one, let's say your favorite number is two, or your favorite number is eight. But if we move away from our favorite number of being one, meaning one and done, a student has to show me one time that they can do anything we eliminate this situation altogether because this situation exists in a, in a world where a kid says, I need to show you one time that I can do this. So I'm going to wait till the last possible moment. But if they're, if they have to show you multiple times or multiple ways, then they can't wait till the end. It's, it, it cannot happen for them or for you. It also, uh, if, if we're using grades as accountability measure, and again, that means to communicate with moms and dads, we want to make sure that we're updating our grades regularly. And whether that means every day, every night, every Wednesday, every Friday, whatever the case may be regularly, that Wednesday, that Friday, whenever we're updating grades should be communicated to parents to be just as valuable as the last day of a marking period. So a mom or a dad can, can sign into the portal and see a grade at any time. And if there's a zero there, that zero should mean just as much as a zero at the end of a marking period. And they can hold their child accountable. And that's where parents can step up and help support us. And they can say, you're not waiting until the end because you have a zero right now on the second week of the marking period. And I, I need to get that fixed. We're not waiting until the end. It needs to happen now, which that whole idea of arbitrary deadlines. And that's where that gets fuzzy is things pile up on us when we have arbitrary deadlines and we start treating like the end of a 10 week period is somehow more important than the first week of a marking period. 
Absolutely. I think like your philosophical approach though is, is kind of the, it's almost similar to like what we were talking about, yeah. what Holly and I do. It's a great way to, to put it into practice. Kind of like you were saying before, because if you truly believe that this is something that you need to utilize, if this is a valuable experience, which it should be, if you're giving it the valuable learning experience, something that's going to give you information that you need going forward for planning your instruction and et cetera, et cetera, giving class time to help make that happen to help students accomplish that is is completely justified then because i could hear it like but caitlin what about instructional time well in my mind that's a phenomenal use of instructional time because i need those assessments right and if we don't want to talk about instruction i'll go back i'm going to geek out again one of the top five effects one of the one of the indicators with the top five effect size out of all the things we do in class is feedback Feedback is one of the most critical instructional tools that we have. Not lecturing, not group work, not collaborative partnerships, feedback. Feedback is right up there with teacher efficacy, with student voice and choice, feedback. And in order to give feedback, students have to demonstrate something that you can then give feedback on. So if you wanna be the most effective instructor ever, assess your kids early, often, and regularly so you can actually give them feedback because that's what instruction is. Yep. So, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Preaching moments here today. I apologize. It's okay. I like the preaching. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock already. Can you believe it is? Wow. We've been at this for 50, almost 58 minutes already. You I'm all sorry, are rock four stars. Four weeks and 58 minutes already. Um, <laughs> And this, this might have been my favorite, I don't know what we'd call it, episode, favorite hour, favorite <laughs> segment of the all, because you guys, you guys were, you're awesome. You're incredible. You're so smart and you're so daring and so willing to come up here and, and enter into the conversation. <laughs> now I, I love don't, it. I don't know that we'll ever be able to ask you to do anything like this ever again, but I so appreciate like, the fact no. that you were so willing. <laughs> I was just super excited. I'm like, an opportunity to talk to Dave and Caitlin? Sure, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We love uh, that you're here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I'm going to put all of you on the spot if that's okay. I'm just curious. When you think about this whole conversation about grading, focusing on the focus, if I asked you to identify your focus or your tangible thing that you're going to take away from all of this conversation, whether it's tonight or at any time over the last um, five weeks or so, what what is the one thing that you think is the most central um, component of all of this? Anybody want to go first or do I put people on the spot? Oh, I'm, I'm going to put Chelsea on the spot. Is that what I heard? Chelsea's on the spot. All right. Fair ah. enough. Sure. Well, I mean, as you both kind of know, my whole master's project was on standards-based grading and trying to move some of my colleagues into that mindset. And it was really difficult, understandably, because, you know, with the school year was not a normal school year. And, um, but it's really prepared me and my practice in focusing focusing on the focus. I know I had to put that in there, but it really did. Like it made me like kind of figure out, okay, what does grading mean to me? What does it mean to my students? Am I giving them the feedback they deserve? And I, it's kind of funny, like now that you said your whole spiel about feedback and like now I'm going to take that too, but that really is kind of what I took from it. Like, I know I quote you Dave a lot on Twitter where it's actionable feedback. If it's not actionable, it's just judgment. And that really stuck with me. I'm like, exactly i'm like if i just put it on there and i say you can't redo it you can't you know retake anything you can't show me that you mastered after you learned it we're just driving on i'm telling them that's not important it wasn't important to learn and i don't care if you learn it at a later date so i don't know like the whole thing was feedback and like giving them actionable but really like you know focused feedback that they can use i guess that's really what i'm going to take away from this I love it. I love it. And for the record, just simply saying I love it is not good actionable feedback, but, but Chelsea, I, I do. I love it. So it was so good. That was so good. We're going to save Joe for after Holly because he's deep in thought on this one right now. So Holly, what do you think? All right. Well, definitely want to piggyback off of what Chelsea said about the feedback. That was definitely a, a key thing that I got from this. But one of the other things that I really um, kind of honed in on was that what am I assessing? 
with each thing, making sure that what I'm doing, it's not just fluff kind of things. It's not assessing for the compliance part of it. What skill am I wanting my students to really develop and learn and master? And that's what I am, you know, I'm kind of going back and looking at some of the stuff that I've assigned in the past. I'm like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that, <laughs> you know, but looking at it and, you know, moving forward to be better. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm taking away. <laughs> and, and that's how you become your building's teacher of the year right there with that reflective attitude. So well <laughs> yeah, done. That's, awesome. woo! <laughs> that's good. That's nice good stuff. All right. Joe Gonzalez. Joe, what you got for us? I think just moving towards away from the cringeworthy moments of sitting in front of my grade book, mindlessly putting in numbers and hearing, you know, Chad or David, you know, you come into my head being like, what was I doing? What was the point? Like Holly just said, like, what was I really assessing there? I don't know. You know, and then just even reflecting back of, you know, over the past year of like, what have we done? I've just assigned worksheets and what? And so getting that uh, the old me is dead and gone and trying to shed that person off and move into a new direction of saying, how can I take this and, and move forward? And so I think just like, just be better. Just how can I be better one day and not be as afraid of everything of, of that it's not going to work out and stop looking at it from a mile away being like, well, that little thing's going to mess up the whole thing. And no, it's not just, just go with it and try it. So that's awesome. I love it. Oh, I love that journey for you. <laughs> Me too. I, I, I love the fact that you said one of your motivators is to to not have the voice of me or Chad in your head. It's like the ghosts of grading past. You want to make sure that you're not being haunted anymore. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Caitlin, I'm going to ask you the same question because, I mean, this you were like the, the centerpiece of all of this. You are the focus of all the focus. So what is your takeaway? <laughs> So I would say like, when you're looking at focusing on the focus, am I talking about like for myself or just generally? Like what, what do we, where am I going with this You're today? the queen of this, Caitlin. You take it wherever you want to take it. All right. So I would say looking at focus on the focus, when you are trying to figure out what your philosophy is going to be, when you are trying to figure out what your approach to grading is going to be, when you are starting to ask yourself these questions, and make these changes that you want to make, working on this journey towards being better, towards doing things in a way that is more aligned with what you think, what you feel, what you believe grading should be. Make sure you know what your philosophy is first. <laughs> Take the time to think about what your philosophy will be. Don't just take everything that, uh, that Dave and I say or that anybody says to be your, your own philosophy. Take the work of multiple people. Use that work to drive you in finding your own philosophy. Whether that be reading books, whether that be reading journal articles, whether that be attending other professional developments and listening to people, having conversations with your colleagues, trying something and seeing how it works. D take the time to really develop your own philosophy because then once you do it, a lot of these questions, a lot of these but moments, a lot of these fears that you're facing will really begin to kind of like melt away. You'll be able to make a philosophy work in any given constraint that you have because it's your philosophy. You'll be able to sit there and apply what you believe and the ideals that you hold to any situation that you give. It's no secret, I switched districts this past year. My grading philosophy didn't switch. The parameters that I work in did. I'm still able to utilize a grading system that's entirely different from the one that I was using before, but ensure that it's aligned to what I believe and how I believe grading should look. And so you need to make sure that you take that time to find your focus, to find your philosophy, and do the work at the front end with yourself internally that's going to allow you to take that above and beyond to infinity and beyond boom you you yeah you sum that up so beautifully that's perfect i mean it really is we we've talked over the last couple of months that one of our fears um and it's gonna sound weird for us to say this but one of our fears is that people will listen to this and feel like we're providing them the answers like we don't want anybody to listen to any of this and say, oh, that's the answer. Dave said it or Caitlin said it and think that just because one of us said it, that it's the way to do things. 
There's a reason why in schools right now, the most popular standard taught is cite textual evidence, because we're trying to convince kids to do the research, to figure it out, not just take anybody at their word. <laughs> Don't take us at our words. Find that textual evidence to prove what you believe. Don't believe it just because one of us said it. Anybody can be on the screen right now saying this stuff. There are a lot of people out there right now. You can pick up a lot of books with people saying the stuff. And just because they wrote a book, just because they were able to get on the internet or on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, doesn't make it right. So use this as a, as a springboard for you to investigate what you believe and then identify what that thing is that you're willing to fight for. We've got a lot of hills out there and they're not all worth dying on. Figure out what the conversation is that you're fighting for. And again, your conversation, the thing that you're fighting for should not be one, two, three, four, sticker charts, stars, or ABCs. That is not the thing that we're talking about. Figure out your focus and then go all in. Boom. <laughs> I like a boop better than a boom, Caitlin. Come on now. Boop. Sorry. Awesome. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, Caitlin, um, I, I'm sure Ray is watching at some point, so we're not allowed to talk about anything else that might be coming at some point. But um, I am just hopeful that this is not the end of me being able to collaborate and work with you and have some awesome conversations with you. If it is, I know where to find you, um, but it's not. So just stay tuned. Um, for everybody else, though, lots of opportunities for you to connect with the Teach Better team coming up tomorrow. We've got hashtag Teach Better Chat, hashtag Master Chat, hashtag whatever hashtag you're using, use them wisely because Lavana Roth is leading the show tomorrow, the great Ignite Your Shine Queen herself. Um, we've got uh, Rewind and bi-weekly check-in happening this weekend as well. Lots of other opportunities happening as we wrap up the school year here and into the summer. So stay connected, stay involved, and be awesome like all of these people here. Just continue to ask the questions, learn, grow, and as they all said, just continue to work on being better. Take care, everybody.